0: Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm Dr. Mary Barson. And I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. Welcome to this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. Gorgeous listeners, it's Dr. Lucy here, and I have with me a fabulous, fabulous guest who you are going to love. Her name is Clarissa Christensen, and she actually lives in Sweden. So, as you know, real-life medicine is global but she does have ties to Australia. So I will be uh, letting her tell her your story, letting her tell you her story. Gosh, using hers all over the place there. And she has some fascinating insights for us, in particular around one of the topics that you know, Dr. Mary and I are passionate about on mindfulness and also something that is very close to my heart slash womb menopause. So I'm... Very, very happy to welcome Clarissa to the podcast. Welcome, gorgeous girl.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Lizzie. I'm so delighted to be here.
0: No, I love podcasting. It's so wonderful.
1: It is. It is. And you've been a great guest on mine and it's so nice in this world that we can give back to each other.
0: Absolutely. I love, I just love the idea that we can have very deep, meaningful conversations and just share them with the world.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: So, Lovely, tell us your story. Tell us a little bit about you. We would like to hear about Clarissa Christensen.
1: Yeah, so it's a a long story when you're 62, but I'll keep it short. So I was born in the UK and I grew up in this multicultural family and actually I emigrated to Australia when I was 45, in the middle of menopause. (laughs) I didn't know I was perimenopausal. As we don't and no one talks about it or no one talks enough about it. And so I'm yay to the world that is talking about it. I was a neuroscientist and I worked in a corporate job. So there I was in perimenopause and my body went into its own space as it does, Mm. you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I'd had a lot of anxiety all my life. I had a lot of trauma as a child growing up. And I'd become a very capable anxiety sister, shall we say. Well, i not suffer because I'm not suffering. But, you know, I had capable mechanisms to show up really well in the world like lots of people do. And in menopause, perimenopause, we know that our brains change and the hormones are impacting our ability to regulate a lot of our emotions and and our ability to remember and all these things which makes life hard when you're a single mum in a new country and in a corporate job that is putting more pressure on you than you can imagine and you're just adapting and eventually I just completely you know collapsed really mentally I was not the person I'd been you know I didn't normally show up to three different meetings at one time and things like that (laughs) it wasn't kind of really me and I knew I had to do something about it, and I had had a couple of panic attacks, and they're, they're actually very frightening. Anxiety at that level is very physical. It isn't a; it's not a mental process. It's a pure, full body experience.
0: Ah, uh, totally. And I think um, people kind of bandy the word panic attack around a little bit, not recognizing that it's not just a few nerves. It is people's physiological response is overwhelming to the point they sometimes feel like they're dying
1: yeah all i can remember about the big one that i had in the office of course you know was that i don't have any recollection of what i actually said it's like the brain blocked out that part of it and all i felt was i can't breathe i want to get out of here and I felt like something was pressurizing all down on me. And I thought, I can't go on like this. And I went down on the lift out onto Clarence Street in Sydney. Lots of people know that. It's a very busy, noisy street in central Sydney. And I just stood outside the office and I cried. Oh, and I gosh. thought, I can't, I can't go on like this anymore. I can't live my life like this. And I was worried. I thought, what happens to me if I lose my job? What happens to my son? You know, all those anxiety things that are there as a mum and i ended up meeting a wonderful person just by coincidence life is like that it had nothing to do with mindfulness or mental health whatsoever but your know, life is sometimes has that and i met her and she was this calm collected person i thought i wonder why she's like that she belonged to an organisation called Open Ground. Now, if you're in Australia, you might know who Open Ground are. They're a huge mindfulness training organisation run by Tim Goddard. She's a wonderful woman. She really is. And she's also a psychotherapist and a yoga therapist. And they have their headquarters down the road in, from Bondi, where I lived, and I went to their course. They've never seen anybody sign up so fast to the course that started. That you know, it was about 600 bucks. So it wasn't a cheap thing, you know. Yeah, but yeah. there I was like, wow. Here i met for who I am. And I started to learn. I went on to train in mindfulness, both with her and then with, then with Breathworks, who work a lot with chronic pain and long-term illness as a mindfulness practice, and put my life back together.
0: I just, you know what, it I know people hear me talk about the, the universe and it's not very doctory, but I just sometimes think that things happen and you know the student is ready and the teacher appears. And that's exactly what happened with you. Literally, you ran practically ran into it.
1: Exactly. And there I was, you know. But then I I've obviously worked with mindfulness and notice that all the women who came to me because very few men show up let's be honest there are not very many men who come to mindfulness groups and classes at all when they do they're often in a very different place I mean I have had people who come refer to me they're somebody's patient they are often have cancer or they've gone into a very severe burnout that's a very different space But women show up because they need to change their lives. And they're nearly always perimenopausal women or menopausal women. Very interesting. There are very few. I've had younger women and they have particular issues, like they have very severe anxiety and they can't function anymore. But on the whole, it's midlife women whose life has been flipped upside down by this thing called hormones. They don't get any support or they don't get sufficient support when they come to their clinician. And they then require to be supported. Lots of their life is turned upside down. Usually people who come to me have anxiety. They can't sleep. They feel foggy. And they don't know what's going on. And they don't necessarily want to be in therapy. Sometimes they do need to be referred to a therapist. Because there's more than I can do. But that is what I work with every day now. And I have obviously women whose gynecological pain is quite significant. And I support clinicians there with a mindfulness program so that we can work through how they can have an additional part of meeting their pain while they're still undergoing treatment.
0: I love that. So just to bridge the gap for our listeners, how does mindfulness help women with perimenopausal symptoms?
1: Well, I would say it does it in a number of ways. The first thing is that it teaches us to be much more connected to our own body. We spend an awful lot of time up in our heads, Uh, we're extremely busy and particularly as women, we're carrying 75% of all home related duties in, in our heads, and they're mostly emotional, a lot of them are not physical, and then we're out at work as well. And so we don't have a lot of time to put to ourselves and we don't listen to our bodies, because either our head is in our phone, or it's thinking about who needs to go to the dentist, or this, that and the other. And so Part of being able to manage menopause is to come into body, to be able to listen, not just to the noise, because there's a lot of noise when you're going through such a big hormonal change. But all the subtle signals that are telling you, I need to rest. Maybe I just need to eat and drink more. We're very dehydrated. Maybe I need to have the word no as a sentence like, no, I can't do this. I don't have any more capacity. In this. So part of that is building awareness and that can then extend into other elements of how we care for yep. ourselves.
0: Yes, I love this.
1: Whether that is what we eat or what we drink or whether we move or those because it flows first from being aware that you have a need. The second part that I work with is teaching people to embrace the change because it is a change. You know, we used to call it the change and now we go around so we can't say that, but it is A change. It's a massive change that is biological, it's psychological and it's social because how we meet and how the world meets us is different as we age. We need to be able to embrace and not resist. And a lot of the response I see out on social media is partially driven by resistance. By this, I don't want to be old. I don't want to be like this. I want to stay. Whatever this strange image that we've been allowed to build up in our own heads about what aging is about. So there's a lot of resisting. And of course, we resist discomfort anyway. If it's painful and it's difficult, the brain goes, let's escape from this as fast as we can. And, but actually what we do is we harden. We physically harden, we breathe more shallowly, we're in fight and flight. So part of the journey is to embrace this change in gentle, questioning ways. And then finally, of course, compassion. Women need huge amounts of self-compassion. Without it, we're we're lost. And that compassion can be very fierce. It can be about boundaries. It can be about standing up for ourselves. It can be about looking at our lives and saying, this element of my life is not working for me anymore. I need to make changes here. So that's how I work in those sorts of different steps with women. And sometimes women are quite aware of their bodies, but maybe the other parts are hard for them. So we start where the person is.
0: Yeah, I love that. Starting where they are, where they're with. And you're right. I mean, people come to you at all different levels of awareness and I'm sure some people, you know, have, have pretty good self-awareness and some people probably haven't, haven't even, never even heard of it. And, you know, it's having that ability to be flexible is wonderful. So it's so interesting, isn't it? And I'm thinking just from a medical point of view that I think what happened with menopause and perimenopause was that, so certainly 20-plus years ago when I was a junior doctor, there was quite a bit of on menopause and, and particularly HRT. And everyone was banging on about menopause, and then, then there was a study, a couple of studies published. One which was that the cardiovascular benefits of HRT that we thought or assumed to be there weren't, and that the risk of breast cancer was. So suddenly, this product that we'd all been prescribing was, uh, you know, demonised. And then, as doctors, if you're not prescribing anything, then you can't do anything. So. You don't want to know about it. It's like (laughs) there's no pill, not my problem. And so I think then for 20 years we became de-skilled in being able to help women through this particular phase because we felt we had nothing to offer. Whereas I think, as you know, I love lifestyle medicine and I love what you're teaching and I love the idea that for a lot of the time everything we need is within us. It's just a matter of unlocking those parts of our mind that may be blocked away.
1: I totally agree, Lucy, totally. You know, I say to people, menopause isn't something you get from the outside and it certainly isn't a set of techniques. I mean, you learn how to become more mindful because you're not naturally because that's just our system the way we live our lives it wipes that out so you do need to learn to practice those things to bring yourself to a more mindful way of living but it's within you it exists in you and when we can bring that out that is the gift for the person and so I'm very against people say here's a book with all the practices you can do of course I teach practices but that's not the point the point is we can all be mindful in our own way too. You know, it's not that prescriptive.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's there's a zillion apps out there now um, that you can download and upload and sideload. And, you know, I myself have about six on my phone, but having an app and actually being mindful are quite different, aren't they?
1: They are. They're, they're actually very different. I think the practices, of, you know what I like about apps is you can set yourself every day, I'm going to give myself 10 minutes. I'm going to press this app and I'm going to do this mindful practice. And even if you only did it for a minute, that would be giving yourself that minute. But we can be mindful out on a walk. We can be mindful while we're cooking, while we're eating our food, while we're just, you know, swimming. I have people to me who cannot be mindful and sit still. I get them to move and be mindful then. There's mindful running. There are so many ways that we can check in with ourselves and say, well, how am I feeling right now?
0: Yep. So if someone was to ask you the definition of, of mindfulness, and I, I know, you know, I've Googled it and there's like a whole plethora of them. What's your definition?
1: My definition is that you are able to be be present here and that whatever you're experiencing is okay because actually you're okay.
0: Yes. Yes, I love that. In our current day and age, we're all, you know, everything around us is all built for comfort and pleasure and we are complete comfort and pleasure seekers. And there's a whole industry that is built around bringing people comfort and pleasure. And then when we're in situations where that are perhaps not comfortable or not particularly pleasurable, we don't know what to do.
1: No, we don't. We don't know how to meet discomfort because our immediate reaction in in the way is that it's wrong and we then do everything we can to resist and push it away. And sometimes we have to lean in. An awful lot of what I teach, particularly with people who have chronic pain, we teach people to lean into it. And that's very hard. You know, we're actually saying, what if you did and they have a practice if we're ever in real life properly again in this world <laughs> you know we're getting there again is to get people to stand back to back to each other and just push against it and see if something gives think of yourself leaning against a bale of hay and just push oh it gives a little and so the nature of a discomfort isn't as fixed and hard so when we we meet that we're like I'm really hard against it it's really tough i'm going to push it away i'm going to do everything and over-identify with it as well, which is what compassion helps us to break through. But if we actually were to notice our emotions, our physiological discomfort, we would notice that it's quite fluid, actually, and that there are times when it is 100%, without doubt, but there are many times when it's not, and it's learning to capture those moments and to see the nature, and everything's changing. You might start the day feeling very sad, very angry. You might somewhere in the middle of the day have a moment of laughter and joy. And then you might find other emotions. So the whole time everything is changing and none of it's wrong. It just is.
0: Absolutely. What I love there is that you really highlighted the idea that everything does change and, you know, what people perceive to be happy or pleasurable or comfortable emotions, they they just come and go like the wind, but when we've got uncomfortable ones, we want to get rid of them as fast as possible, shove them down with something, food, scrolling on your phone, you know, distracting yourself with some little something that's going to give you a bit of dopamine, and you do the opposite of, of leaning in. You stuff it down and run away.
1: Yeah, I call those behaviours secondary suffering. So we have maybe we have primary suffering. Right. And that is our condition. It can be our hormonal actual hormonal change in menopause. It can be your pain. It can be whatever it is. There is a primary suffering, which is the trigger point. But what we put on top is secondary suffering. And it's the secondary suffering that ends up causing a lot more pain that what we call blocking or drowning behavior. So there are people who do exactly what you said. That's very blocking behaviors, where we over-exercise, over-shop, over-talk, over-scroll,
0: over-drink.
1: So I just block out. Oh yes, do and and go further than that. Sometimes for some people, but that is a mechanism to block out the emotion, the pain that we have, whether that's physiological or or, or psychological. But we're blocking it. We can't meet it. Or we can drown. And that's when I lie on the couch and I'm a victim and I just drown. I have no physical or no active way of blocking or pushing it away. It just overwhelms me. And I notice that a lot with people who say have a chronic fatigue type problem, depression. It's too much. I'm just, I'm just gone. I'm just here and I can't do anything. And
0: they become helpless
1: helpless and isolated. So a lot of the work that we do in our mindfulness teaching is to work on the secondary suffering as a way of them being able to meet the primary one differently.
0: Yeah, oh, I totally, I love that. You are, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, we develop various coping mechanisms for for many situations that are, are painful. And, yeah, those coping mechanisms are not always in, in our bodies or our brain's best interest?
1: No, they're not. They're not. They're not at all in the in the best interest of in the long term because they themselves create their additional problems, unfortunately. And so we need to be able to work with them. And And, and I don't say to anybody that working in this way is easy. This requires commitment from the person and support and guidance from your team who are guiding you. And I think that people want a quick fix, as you said, these days. And, and mindfulness, I hate to tell you, dear listeners, it's not a quick fix. I mean, you know, we wish it was. It's a journey. And, you know, we're always meeting. Life is changing. It's a journey. And, and obviously, menopause is a journey. So this is part of being on it and always working and, and meeting yourself just as you are in this day.
0: Yeah yeah I know we humans we, we are always looking for the the loophole, the easy option, the quick fix, the you know just do it and do it once sort of thing, but it's not it's an ongoing commitment <laughs> to looking to looking after yourself it is it is in ways I think that are helpful and and the interesting thing I find and I'm sure you do too in you know in this current world everyone is talking about self care they are going, you know we're all doing hashtag self care everywhere. But for some people, you know, there's pictures of bubble baths and, you know, blocks of chocolate as part of self-care and that's just not it.
1: No, it is not it. You're absolutely right. Sometimes self-care is saying no. Sometimes self-care is doing something you don't like doing or you've been avoiding. You know, I give the example that you might need to open those unopened credit card bills and take a look at where you are and say, can I financially actually cope where I am? Do I need to ring somebody to help me?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) That's self-care. Those sorts of things are self-care because it's parenting your inner child. It isn't layering on soothing stuff that distracts you. It's working on yourself.
0: Yes, absolutely. I love that. Yes, it's parenting yourself or your inner child and actually... Sometimes it's not that much fun.
1: Not always, no. It isn't always fun. I mean, and it can be quite significant. It can be that you may have to end a friendship, address issues in your relationships, change your relationship to food, as you and I know, Dr. Lucy, that. It might be that you have to start saying, actually, I need to go and get some tests at my doctor's because I know something's not right, but I've been avoiding it.
0: Yeah, Absolutely, yes, relentless commitment to caring for yourself.
1: Yes, that's real stuff. Not that the other stuff isn't nice because we do need a bit of joy and, and love and happiness in our lives, but that's not the essence of true self-care.
0: Yes, absolutely, I love that. So if people are, are thinking about starting a mindfulness practice, what, what sort of tips do you give them?
1: Start small. Start by working on things like getting to know your own body. So I'm a massive fan of simple body scans. There, And you can download them off many apps and always start there. Start to have a relationship with this wonderful thing that's called your body that carries you around all the time and start seeing if you can tune into it. So maybe start finding 50 I think a lot of the body scans are about 10 or 15 minutes which sounds long but find yourself a comfortable space lie down and just give yourself those 10 or 15 minutes because you've got that time believe you me even though you don't think you have you have and do those for say up to a week and notice how you feel just notice how you feel maybe keep a little thing and if you fall asleep you know what doesn't matter, your body needed that rest. There's no judgment here. And if you wake up at the end, well, great. If you wake up in the middle, great. You've practiced mindfulness because that's about coming back to being aware. And just start there. It's the simplest way. And then take time. Do things that that you like doing where you can be mindful. If you like going for a walk, go out for a walk without your phone and you don't listen to a podcast. But observe. Be in the nature Feel your feet on the ground. Here it's summer and take off your shoes. but And stop. Look around. Hear the birds. You're being aware. and Building up an awareness all the time. And then worry later about all these complicated breathing exercises. And I will say something about that here. That if you've had trauma, and one in five of us has had a trauma experience, don't start there. Breathing and focusing in on your breath very intentionally could re-trigger a traumatic event so start small if you want to do breathing exercises start small and often it's good to work with somebody if you want to do that somebody who knows and can watch you but it it is something i say to people and we often don't say that enough we see that as all breaths are panacea it is wonderful it's free but if you've had that just be aware that that's what can happen to you and use things that are a little bit away from yourself then
0: yep. And I love the idea in a body scan that you will notice where your body's holding tension.
1: Oh, yes.
0: Mm. So interestingly, I mean, I know lots of people will be aware that they hold tension in their shoulders and neck because, you know, we're always off running, getting massages for that. And jaw, you know, plenty of dentists are having to create jaw, you know, (laughs) splints. But I'm sure that you probably particularly if you're working with chronic pain, people know that pelvic pain, we often hold tension down in our pelvic floor.
1: We do. We hold a lot of tension in the pelvic area. And one of the things that I work with there is obviously releasing that through you know, maybe directing your attention there. But we also have a small diaphragm. Well, our pelvic floor is like a little diaphragm down there. And actually there's a very nice body scan where we work on all three diaphragms. So the pelvic floor the big diaphragm and the one in your throat and just you can't really feel the smaller ones but if you can feel those and direct a little bit of attention there sometimes that releases that so yes we hold a lot of tension in the pelvic area hold a lot of tension in the hands
0: Mm. i know in fact i've just noticed i'm sitting here clenching my i don't know why it's like i'm clenching my hands together
1: i don't know what am i doing that for yeah So those are some of those areas where we don't expect. And then, of course, you know, we we may know that we have niggly bits, especially as we get into midlife and beyond. So we just direct warm, loving attention to those parts that we know as well, or parts that maybe we we don't even like very much.
0: Mm. Yes, well, I think it would be... And I don't know, I haven't done a survey of every single person on the planet, but I don't know that there are many people that love every single skerrick of their body. I think you would probably find that, you know, everyone in the world has a bit they don't like.
1: Oh, indeed. All of us have something about ourselves that we think, oh, no, I don't like that. I'd like to change that. But, that's but you know, it's just part of you and that's okay. We're just human, you know. And we can just direct a little extra love for that part because it's doing something good for us.
0: Absolutely. Oh, darling, this has been a lovely chat and it's been I can feel, you know, even though you're in Sweden and I'm down here in Tyab on the Mornington Peninsula, I can feel this connection and you have such a beautiful, loving way about you that I just love. So if I'm ever in Sweden... (laughs) I'm coming over for a big non-COVID hug because oh, um, yes. <laughs> I can see it there. Um, if people want to connect with you, how do they find you? You can find
1: me on my webpage, which is my name, ClarissaChristiansen.com, which is quite menopause-focused. I'm on Instagram as Thriving Through Menopause, and that's a really good place to find me because I post there.
0: Wonderful and lovely listeners we will put these in the show notes as well so that you've got all the spellings correctly yes please go look clarissa up because she's an absolute treasure with lots and lots of valuable information for us oh thank you wonderful all right gorgeous listeners i will see you or hear you will listen to me anyway i won't see you at all next week when we return with another episode of real health and weight loss take care gorgeous ones and see you next time bye for now So, my lovely listeners, that ends this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. And I'm Dr. Mary Barson. We're from Real Life Medicine. To contact us, please visit rlmedicine.com. And until next time, thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. The information shared on the Real Health and Weight Loss podcast, including show notes and links provides general information only it is not a substitute nor is it intended to provide individualized medical advice diagnosis or treatment nor can it be construed as such please consult your doctor for any medical concerns